chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, if you were here last week, I honestly, honestly thought that would be the last sermon in Romans 10 out of this current series, Uh, but the Lord had another plan, and that is fine. Romans chapter 10, two weeks ago, we looked expositionally at verses 13 through the end of the chapter, verse 21. And that message had seven points, seven points. Today does not have seven points, okay? That's good news. Uh, But I am going to review as fast as possible last week because literally about half of you were unable to be here last week for one reason or another. And those of you that were able to be here, hopefully we'll use this as a little bit of just getting a running start toward the conclusion of this message. Uh, If you have a handout and you want to follow along, Uh, especially the first half of that handout, we're going to go quickly. Can we see those seven facts from two weeks ago that was very broad-based? We panned out. Uh, We actually went back before Romans 10, but we included Romans 10 in some of these final points. Would you let your eyes go up there by way of introduction, look at this list. Every single statement, I believe with all my heart, I'm not saying... Uh, that I love the ramifications of each statement, but I believe each of those are biblical statements. We flesh them out on Wednesday nights. We've questioned, we pick them apart a little bit, and we found, are they defendable by Scripture? Number one, look at it. All people, that is everyone on the whole planet, all people know of God. Not saying they know God, not saying have a relationship and know a lot of details, but they know of God, but they all reject and pervert that knowledge of God. Number two, all people are guilty of sin. All people are guilty of sin. So that presents a huge problem. Number three brings in some good news. Salvation. So it's available, right? But watch the, the narrowness, the exclusivity of number three. Salvation is only by faith. You can't work for it. You can't be born into it physically. You have to have your spirit reborn by faith. Faith, but watch, salvation is only by faith in Christ. That's important. Right, you say, yeah, I've got to believe in God. No, 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 watch the wording. Salvation is only by faith in Jesus Christ. Number four, well, then why don't everybody just have faith in Christ? Or someone may say, I'm struggling to have faith. Faith, number four, only comes by hearing. That's the way God set it up. People aren't just born with faith in Christ. They get faith by hearing, particularly the word of Christ, the word of God. So that presents, number five, is a huge problem because many have never heard the gospel. They say some one billion plus people around the world have never heard. I'm going to propose to you the number's probably growing because every day in America there are people being born and they're going to be reared in families. It's getting worse and worse. They will never hear about Jesus other than a curse word or a word in a movie that is used as a byword. They're going to hear, oh yeah, and they may see a Bible and drive by many churches, but they've never really heard. I believe the number is growing around in our country. Which obviously leads to number six. God commands the church to make the gospel known because they haven't heard. And then two weeks ago, our seventh point had to do with the interpretation of the passage as it related to the Jews. Many do hear the gospel. Many have never heard, but many do hear and still reject it. And we'll pick up with that thought, Lord willing, next week. Would you look with me? Romans 10, verse 13. Romans 10, 13. For everyone, here's the Bible, God's word. This is a fact. You say, I don't believe the Bible. One day you will. 
You say, I do believe the Bible, then believe this statement. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I said last week, you would hear that and think, well, then everybody should just say a prayer, call on Jesus, say, Jesus Christ saved me, something like that. I made a statement, and I saw as soon as I made it, I saw those of you that are well-versed in the Scripture, y'all gave me some puzzled looks, and some of you gave me some mean looks, and I like it that you did, because here's what I said. If you are here and you're not a Christian, you've never called on the Lord, do not just call on the name of the Lord. Do not do it. And that was when some people were like, what? what? He misspoke. Sure. No, I said, do not just call on the name of the Lord. Why? Because if you just say a little prayer that you don't really mean, you may get up from that little religious exercise thinking you have eternal life now because you said a prayer that somebody that talked to you three or four minutes said, call on Jesus, and they read you Romans ten thirteen, And I did that. I guess I'm good. And you wonder why your life never changes. So what I told you last week is, do not just call on the name of the Lord, but only call when you believe, verse 13, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When you believe that, then call, and he will save you. But if you don't believe it, don't go through the exercise. You will have false assurance, I promise you. Verse 14. So we have this, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You think everyone would do it. Here's the problem. How then will they call on him and whom they have not believed? People are not going to call on him in faith if they haven't believed, obviously. So verse 14 continues. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? You can't believe in what you haven't heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But, now he's talking about those who have heard. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? I've told them they're not believing. And so Paul makes a conclusion statement, verse 17. So faith, which you have to have, you have to have faith. It's the only way to go to heaven. So faith comes from hearing. That's where it comes from. But not just hearing anything, hearing through the word of Christ. So you say, Jeff, a while ago we had seven points. That fifth one is very disturbing. What happens to these people who never hear about Jesus if that's supposedly the only way to heaven? Write it down. People who never hear about Jesus cannot believe in him. They've never heard him, cannot believe in him. So, well, what happens to them? They will die just like everyone else. They'll die before age 120, and they will go to hell. And that gives us our two points this morning. People who never hear about Jesus, let this sink in this morning. People who never hear about Jesus cannot believe in Jesus They will die in their sins. They will go to hell. They may have no idea at first exactly, but then they will realize, I am paying for my sins. They won't even know that that there was a Savior named Jesus. And again, we talked about this a couple of Wednesday nights ago. They will not be there because they rejected Jesus. They didn't even have a chance to reject Jesus, but they will be there because they rejected God. And we talked a couple of Wednesday nights ago. You said, Jeff, do you believe in degrees of punishment in hell? Yes. I believe hell will be horrible for those who've never heard about Jesus but have known of God and rejected God. They will deserve hell for our sins. We all do. But I'll tell you who it's going to be a lot worse for is those who have heard about Jesus and have rejected God and the message of Christ. And you might be sitting here right now this morning in that boat. Hell will be worse for you. So this brings us to two points this morning. The first one I just have to fly through by review. 
Since faith comes by hearing, that demands evangelism. Demands evangelism. Evangelism is where people who have been saved and who know how to be saved take the message to others. Really, the way I'm using this word this morning, I'm thinking of it on like a local personal. It's your sphere of influence. We have to be evangelistic. Is this in the Bible? Follow with me. We're going to fly through these. We looked at them last week. Matthew 28, verse 18. Look at the passage. And Jesus came. By the way, this is in Galilee. This is after Jesus' resurrection. He's meeting with the disciples well north of Jerusalem. Watch. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Christian, hear this this morning. Jesus says, I have all authority. In other words, listen and do what I say. So verse 19, go, therefore. Guys, this isn't a suggestion. This isn't a calling. This is a command. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's what he told them. Baptizing them after they become disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But watch verse 20. It's key. Don't just get them saved. Don't just get them to go public with their salvation by being baptized, which in some lands around the world could cost you your life. Don't, let them, don't have them just be a secret saint. Have them go forward unashamedly for the cause of Christ. But then he says, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So if someone were to say, Jeff, I believe these calls to evangelism were for the apostles or for those who were given the gift of evangelism in the New Testament, Jesus says very clearly, teach them, the ones that get saved, to observe all that I have commanded you, which means go to the nations, baptize them, make disciples, and then teach them, and it just keeps going and going and going and multiplication is much stronger than addition it's down in Jerusalem after this look at Luke 24 verse 45 through 47 then he Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance from that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem That's in Jerusalem, in an upper room. But then we find on the Mount of Olives, literally the last moments before Christ has ascended, Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. Look at this. Jesus tells his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Why? Why do we have power? Power to defeat sin, yes. Power to live a holy life, yes. Power to use my spiritual gifts, yes. But watch. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Take a quick note. We noted that the work of the ministry is for all Christians. We tracked that down, and I'm not sure if you have that in your handout, but we looked at Ephesians 4. We're not going to do that today. We looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I would propose to you 1 Timothy chapter 3 and many other places like that. No one can say, that's not my calling. We've all been commanded. Why? Because salvation is only available one way, and it's by faith, and people will not have faith until they hear, and many people have never heard. So, three things. Still reviewing. Evangelism involves three things. Number one, preparing to share gospel truth. Christian, I hope you would take, go home, digest those three passages we looked at, and come to a conclusion. I'm supposed to be sharing my faith. Prepare to share your faith. I truly believe what I'm about to say. If you're a Christian, you've ever been saved, then you should be able to tell someone how you got saved. What did you do? 
But you can improve on that. You should be able to take that and learn more and more. The most powerful thing, you could take your, your salvation testimony coupled with scripture, scriptures, put it all together and have a powerful presentation, not a manipulation. So I'm going to propose to you that becoming evangelistic involves preparing to share the gospel. Last week I said as little children we prepared how to write, we learn, we train, we practice how to write, how to read, how to do mathematics. Nowadays kids are doing keyboarding and they're learning software systems and we send them to dance class and to sports teams. Literally 8, 10, 12 hours a week. I know because I used to coach, I wanted every hour I could get with my team. Come on, and Dr. Wilkins says, oh, we're doing away with Wednesdays. It'll never work. The other schools are out there practicing every day, and we're going to fall behind. And lo and behold, that's the year we won the championship. The very year he, he, he cut us back. It was a good thing. We were rested. Why am I talking so much about this? I don't have time. Let's keep moving. We practice how to play an instrument. Piano, flute, the spoons, whatever. Why? Because these things are important. We send our kids, go to driver's ed. You need to know how to drive. You need to learn a skill. And off we go to college or we go to a a tech school and and we learn a trade. Why? This is important. I know I said this last week, but guys, somehow, some way in Christianity, we've made it okay to have a goal as get them saved early and let's get them some assurance. Make sure they know that they are saved so that they have joy and abundant living. And then let's spend the rest of the Christian life getting holy by reading all the good books and listening to the good lessons and sermons. And that's the goal. And somehow we've missed one of the main points. So much more than that. If that's all it was is I'm saved and I know I'm saved and now my goal is to get holy, then why doesn't God just take us on to heaven? Because we're going to be a lot holier there and that's the reason He has something for us to do here, which is to be evangelistic. And so it requires training. Wednesday night, you say, I am not, I don't think I'm very good. I'm not really ready to share my faith. You need to come the next few Wednesday nights, be in that building over there at 6.30 We're going to start reviewing some of these things in the next two, maybe three weeks. We'll see how the Lord leads. I'll go ahead and throw out to you, if you have your exchange notebook that we gave like 14, 13, 14 months ago, bring those. You say, I already have the answers. That's fine. We need to review. We need an army of people going out. The second thing being evangelistic requires is we must pray for specific requests. Do not underestimate the power and the importance of prayer in being evangelistic. Do not just launch out telling people about Christ. So what are the specific requests? I offer at least three. Number one, pray for specific souls. Did a name just come in your mind when I said pray for specific souls to be saved? Who have you been praying for? If you say, I have no one in mind, start praying for someone. Specific request number two, pray for God to send laborers into the field. You'll see, I think, Luke there. We're not going to take time to read that. We looked at it last week. Long story, Jesus says this. Pray, watch, literally pray request. God, would you send laborers? I'm praying that for grace for you. God, would you send laborers into the field? Why? Two reasons. Because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Two reasons. There's many that are going to get saved, not just many that need to get saved. They're going to get saved. But there's just not a lot of people who really share their faith. So, Lord, raise up an army, not just here and not just the other churches in Anderson, South Carolina, United States, literally all around the world. Raise up an army. Is this the time? Is this the time that it's going to happen? 
The third one, pray for boldness to speak, as the early church did in Acts chapter 4. Being evangelistic means preparing to share the gospel. I need to actually learn how to share my faith. Number two, it's praying for specific requests. Number three, intentionally engaging in gospel conversations. We can be well-trained and we can be praying for folks, but if we don't actually open our mouth when it counts, what good did it do? And that's where that boldness, praying for boldness to speak. So then we said our second thought, since salvation is only by faith, And people can have faith unless they hear. Not only does it demand demand evangelism, number two, it demands missions. So Jeff, isn't that same idea? Very similar. If I could say it this way, if evangelism is local and personal in my sphere, wherever that may be, then missions may be the idea of corporate, partnering, and foreign. What about those that are out there? We need to reach them. A couple of Wednesday nights ago, we threw out a question. I'm going to throw it to you again. Ready? So Jeff, I'm going to get this straight. Did you just say there's over a billion people who have never heard about Jesus? And when they die, there's no way they could have put their faith in Christ and they will go to hell having never even heard about the, the one way to heaven. And we ask this, is there a chance that maybe, just maybe, there's another way? Is there another way to get to heaven? Maybe another way in this life, and as we looked a few weeks ago, and and it had holes all through it, it is not a decent argument. It is no argument whatsoever that maybe since they didn't hear, they get to go to heaven. Well, that, again, I cannot revisit that, but that is crazy thinking. Well, maybe after they die, they'll get a chance. Guys, listen, after they die, everyone would take up God's offer. You only have this life. Yeah, but I'm kind of holding out that maybe there's another way. Guys, I believe if there was another way, the New Testament would have told us, but it doesn't say anything. There's nowhere in here. If you find it, please show me. Here's what I do find. Look at John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. Watch this wording. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. If that's the only one, well, that would really make me think. Man, this sounds like Jesus is the only way, but we're not done. Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Peter is preaching to the Sanhedrin, the enemies of Christ. Look what he says. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Peter had healed a lame man, a 40-year lame man in Jesus' name. And he's telling them Jesus is the one who did that. But he doesn't stop. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And verse 12 is the kicker. Here's what the Bible says. Peter, literally, in verse 8, you don't see it, but verse 8 says, Filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven, literally anywhere. What if this group hasn't heard? There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Romans 10, I'm literally not going to take time to read Romans 10, because if we go to the next one, look at James 2. You say, Jeff, well, what if they just believe in God? They never hear about Jesus, but they believe in God. James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one? You believe in one God? Think you're doing well? Think that's going to get you to heaven? He says, you do well, but then he qualifies. Even the demons believe and shudder, and they're not going to heaven. Maybe there's another way. There is no other way. 1 John 5, verse number 12, watch what it says. Whoever has the Son has life. 
Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. There literally is no other way. So we have two points. Faith coming by hearing demands evangelism. Faith, since faith only comes by hearing, it demands missions. Well, we have two thoughts. Number one, what are Bible reasons for missions? Bible reasons. Still reviewing. Hit these four things quickly. Number one, there's a command from above. Gentleman's name was E. Myers Harrison. Dr. Harrison gives us four Bible reasons. Grace be, I hope you're listening to this because what we're going to say the rest of the day and what we're going to say in the coming weeks on Wednesdays and what I hope a culture develops springs from Bible reasons for missions. Number one, there's a command from above. You see Mark 16. Jesus says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. But number two, there's a cry from beneath. There's a cry from beneath. I I cannot go through this all again. Maybe I will. Just look at the wording. There's a poor man. His name was Lazarus. And he died. And he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. But there was this rich man who's not named. And the Bible says he also died and was buried. So these two men, one has a relationship with the Lord. He was very poor in this life. And the other one has no relationship with Jesus, no faith in Jesus. They both die. Watch what the Bible says. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, in hell, it was literally what happened. Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off. Apparently the way things at that time before Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins. There was a way for these people that were in hell to see what was happening. To have a conversation even with Abraham. And so he sees Abraham afar off. And Lazarus, that's the, that's the poor man. That's the beggar that used to sit at the end of my driveway. Always wanting the crumbs from my table. And he sees him. And he calls out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I'm in anguish in this flame. Please, he's interested, he's worried about his own self. But then verse, the next verse. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, watch this, here's the man in hell, the cry from beneath, who says, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. His first concern was his own pain and when that was not an option, all of a sudden this man in hell who does not know Christ gets extremely evangelistic and he says, would you please send Lazarus to tell my brothers so they don't come here. I wonder how many people in hell today who've died recently, who know someone alive in Anderson, if they could speak to us, would say, please, you play golf with them. You sit and watch the kids practice soccer. You talk to her every time when y'all practice soccer. You you, you go shopping at the same time. Y'all ride together. You communicate. You Facebook. Please tell them so they don't come here. Number three, there's a call from without Acts 16, 19, literally those who've never heard the gospel, if they could, they would tell us, please come over and help us. And then number four, there's a constraint from within. 2 Corinthians 5 says, for the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ constrains us. Again, very quickly, would you look at Acts 18? Acts 18, verses 9 through 11, would you look at that? Paul is in Corinth. We read that for our communion service earlier. 
Paul is actually first arriving in Corinth. They're having some success, but the Jews have kicked them out of the synagogue. So they're having to go over to this school to try to hold some, some services, and some people are getting saved, and some things are going well. But apparently, it, it, it seems that Paul's maybe ready to leave. But watch verse 9. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. This is important, guys. We're talking about Bible reasons for missions. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I, This is an important line. God says, I have many in this city who are my people. What he's saying is, these are going to be saved. These are my people. And God knows. He's literally put his love upon them. He set his love. He has elected. He has chosen. You say, Jeff, you believe in that? Absolutely. But notice what it takes. I have many in this city who are my people. And so what happens? Paul stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God to them. And your last catch-up note is this. I believe with all my heart, many of God's people are currently in unreached places who have never yet heard of the gospel. They've not heard the name of Jesus. They've never set their eyes on a Bible. Many of God's people right now, you say you believe they're alive right now, right now, that are not yet saved, but they will be saved when God sends his people. They will be saved. They will be saved. And I believe Acts 18 is exactly that dynamic. So here we are. You ready? Since salvation is only by faith in Christ, then that demands evangelism because many have never heard. But it also demands missions because over a billion are in, a billion are in unreached territories. And so that leads us to Bible reasons for missions. And today's main thought is this. It won't be the long thought. Bible reasons for blessings. So as we're talking about missions, Bible reasons for missions, and Bible reasons for blessings. Guys, I wish I could go around the room and I could take each one of you and just look eye to eye and you could do the same with me. You're blessed. You're blessed. Do y'all know you're blessed? Guys, when I, I wrote some factors down. Income, possessions. Your income, your possessions. Healthcare, you say, I don't have a big income. If you don't have a large income, you probably have access to free health care. If you have a large income, you sure don't get free health care. <laughs> you get expensive health care. Point being, income, possessions, health care, transportation. Do you all know our road systems? Have you ever been to a foreign country? Transportation. Do you know that in a lot of countries like Cuba and China, a bicycle is a luxury? Okay. You say, I've got a bicycle, but I also have a kind of car, and it starts most days. You're ahead of the game. Seriously. And when you factor in things like jobs that are available, you're like, well, I need a job. You have access here in Anderson. I'm not saying everyone, but most everyone who wants a job could get one. Might not be the one you want, but you could get one. You are blessed. I believe if you stacked us against the rest of the world, like, I don't know all the stories, but I dare say most all of us are in the top 5%. Of the world. I want you to taste that. Hundred people. You understand? Hundred people. Picture a hundred. Picture five. The most blessed. You're in it. You're in it. Most of you are like, I absolutely know. God's been good. 
I believe if you step beyond 2018 and look at history, you're not in the top 5%. You're in the top 1% of history. I said this a couple of years ago. You go to Publix, Ingalls. I'm not talking about a high-end butcher shop. You go in there. You tell them what meat you want. You tell them how you want it sliced and how many pounds or half pounds or quarter pounds. Kings could not do that years ago. Go in about 10 o'clock into our grocery stores and just look. The labels are all out. Kings did not have access to what you have. You get in a car and you flip a little button and you turn on the tunes that you want to listen to. And we think, Kings, yeah, they rode on people's shoulders. Yeah, about two miles an hour. Right? They had somebody fanning them. Right, you turn on air condition or a box fan. You are wealthy. Now watch. I just took you from 5% to the 1%. If you factor in spiritual blessings, it's called eternal life. You're not in the top 1% of history. You're in the top fraction of the 1%. A thousand, oh, there's the 10. I'm in the 10. No, no, you're in the 1 and 2. You, because God decided to be good to you. Now, why did he do that? Hmm. David Platt helps us. He helps us realize that God blesses his people so that his glory may be known in the world. God blesses his people so that his glory may be known in the world. I cannot linger on these examples, but would you look at Genesis? Boy, you want to get this this morning. I hope every person gets this this morning. Genesis chapter 12. There's a man named Abram. We know him as Abraham. The Lord changes his name. He's literally minding his own business among his pagan heathen people and God just sets his love and decides he's going to be good to Abraham. Watch Genesis 12.1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, leave there, and your kindred, leave them, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Watch verse 2. This is important. Wonder why God's good to people. We just established we're in the top 1%. We're the top fraction of 1%. Verse 2, watch. Abram, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing. The Bible cannot be clear. Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Flip over to Exodus chapter 14. If you're following along, I don't have got so many scriptures, I'm not marking, marking them all. Exodus 14. God literally tells Moses as they're exiting Egypt, and God has like kind of crushed Egypt. And now the, the Israelites are free to go, and they've gone. But God says, Moses, I want you to make them camp in a very vulnerable place. I have a reason. Verse 3. For Pharaoh... I don't know if anybody even realized where they were at. Like, man, this isn't like the smartest place for us to camp. We're extreme. We're backed up against the sea and the wilderness. And man, we're sitting ducks out here. We don't have an army. They do. What if they change their mind? Verse 3, God planned that. For Pharaoh will say of the people, here's God, Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Ah! Let's go get them back. Verse 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. 
And they did so. Literally, you say, right, God opened the Red Sea to save the children of Israel. I'll propose to you God put them in a vulnerable place, let the Egyptians come, and then open the sea, and then destroy the Egyptians, so that what remained of Egypt, they would know that God is the Lord, and the nations would be fearful. Flip. You need to see it. Daniel chapter 3. Flip over. Daniel chapter 3. Last of what we would call the major prophets. Daniel chapter 3. Do you remember the scene? Let me say it real quick. The Babylonians, Chaldeans, have conquered many nations, one of whom is Israel. All right, ready? So the king is Nebuchadnezzar. He gets this bright idea because he's all that. He's going to make this 90-foot tall statue, an image, and at the playing of the music, everyone's supposed to bow down to the statue and the image. They play the music, everybody bows down. Only problem is, here comes some of his higher-up dudes, and they're like, hey... Uh, We need to talk to you. You remember those three Hebrew guys, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Yeah. Well, they didn't bow. And Nebuchadnezzar's angry. Because he had said, if anyone does not bow to this image, they'll be put in a burning, fiery furnace. He's ticked off, brings in a... Did you guys not understand? But even in his anger, he's willing to give them another chance. Tell you what, at the sound of the music, you guys bow this time, and they like interrupt. No, 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 you don't understand, King. Yeah, we knew what we were doing. I'm reading between the lines. Uh, you, can do, you can play a hundred times. We're not bowing to the image. Uh, our God would not want us doing this. Our God's able to save us. And even if he doesn't, then we still can't bow and serve you or your gods. We're not going to do it. We're going to be true to the one true God. This makes him even angrier. Make it hotter, he says, and put these boys in it. And he had his big guys come and wrap them up in the ropes and he put all their clothes on them, tied them up, and then those big guys, bless their heart, had to take them up to the mouth of the furnace and those guys died because it was so hot, threw them in there, and moments later, Nebuchadnezzar's blown away as he's like, hey, hey, did we not put three guys in? Yes, my Lord. There's four. And they're walking around unbound and they're not even in pain. And he goes up and he says, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, get out here. Look at verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. No smell of fire come upon them. Watch what happened. Now, by the way, before I finish reading verse 28, can I interject this? You know what we would say today? Why is God letting that happen? They've done nothing but the right thing. They've lived for God. Why would God let these awful things happen to these three boys who are living for Him? God's got a purpose. Verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command. You boys didn't listen to me. Thankfully you did that. And yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, verse 29, Nebuchadnezzar the most powerful man in the world at the time. I make a decree. Any people nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Literally, God let this happen to them so that the announcement would go to the nations. And I can hear people in the foreign lands going, who, what nation, Israel, what God? 
The creator God, the I am God, he's the greatest. Ephesians chapter 1. Would you flip over there quickly? Ephesians chapter 1. Here's the reason. Here's the reasons why God blesses us. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, why did he choose us? That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. What is that purpose? Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, why did God do this? So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Abraham, I'm blessing you for a reason. Israel, sorry, it isn't just about saving your hide. It's about, Israel, it's about Egypt knowing that I'm the one true God. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, it's going to be a little scary, but you guys are going to have the faith. You're going to go through a difficult time, but I'm going to rescue you, and the nations will know that I'm the one true God. Christians in Ephesus, Christians in Graceview in the United States, I bless you so that God's glorious grace will be praised. It's about His glory. You say, Jeff, will it work? Will it work? Revelation chapter 7. This is a true event. This is going to happen. It's already written in the Bible as though it were history, even though it hasn't happened yet. Verse 9. John the Apostle, the Revelator, says, After this I looked. Guys, I'm telling you what's going to happen. Watch it. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude, great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples, and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with, with palm branches in their hands. What are they saying? Crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, not the God of the Jews only. Salvation, all the nations. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. One more passage for you to look at. First Timothy chapter 6. Would you look at 1 Timothy chapter 6? 1 Timothy chapter 6. Bible reasons for missions. Bible reasons for blessings. Very clear to Abraham, to the children of Israel. Very clear in the book of, Ephes- uh, book of Ephesians. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look at verse 17. Bible reasons for blessings. As for the rich... Let this sink in. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. 
Verse 17 again. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor set their hopes on uncertain riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Two quick thoughts. Why does God bless His people? God's grace is seen, number one, for His people to enjoy God's blessings. Please do not walk away from here saying, boy, honey... We can never get a five bucks coffee again. I mean, a Starbucks coffee again. Cancel that condo. This is terrible. Please understand. God gives his people good things to enjoy. Thank you, Lord. So I'm not saying you walk out of here, you have to be guilty about every little thing. But there's a whole other side to the point of the blessings. Grace view. Number two. Why did he bless us? To extend God's blessings to others so as to make God's glory known throughout the whole earth. I have blessed you because I love you. I want you to enjoy these things. And I blessed you so that you will be a conduit through which others receive the blessings. Can I trust you? And you see two cautions there. Write these two cautions down. Caution number one out of 1 Timothy 6. Here's caution number one. It's very important. Beware of only thinking of others as rich. Watch out. Do you know what? Honestly, no kidding. And, and you're going to know that I'm telling the truth as soon as I say it. Here's what just happened about a minute, two minutes ago when I started reading verse 17. Here's what happened. Jeff read, as for the rich in this present age, charge them. Oh, yeah, you start thinking about the rich people. Somebody else. Right? We all think about somebody else. Maybe you're here today and you say, Jeff, 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 no, you don't understand. We, we both work and even both of us working. We only have $60,000 coming in our house. Okay. Others would say, are you crazy? We got like $23,000 coming in. And others would say, we just can't have jobs or we have physical issues. We only have about $17,000 coming in every year. And so we read that and we think of somebody who's rich. The question is, Who would the three billion people in the world who live on $2 per day, who would they call rich? So the question is not, who would you call rich? Who would they, who have $60 a month, $720 a year, three billion people, almost half the continent lives on $720 a year, who would they say is rich? So we need to be careful about who we think because it's usually somebody else. This is important too. Second caution Beware of thinking of riches only in terms of financial. Why? Write it down. Because physical blessings outrank financial blessings. You say, I don't know about that, Jeff. I really don't believe that. If you're my age or younger and you have children still in the house, even out of the house, the love doesn't change. Let's say you have $200,000 in the bank and your child is at the point of death, but if you would spend the $200,000, it would save their life you'd say, take the $200,000. Why? Because physical outranks financial. But I'll propose to you that spiritual outranks physical and financial. Are you saved? Do you, know, do you know the gospel? Have you experienced the gospel? Last week I proposed a question. I never heard the answer. There may be no answer or maybe someone can tell me. I proposed a problem. There are 46,000 Southern Baptist churches. There are other types of Baptist churches. 
But in America, there's 46,000 Southern Baptist churches, and there are only 3,562 missionaries going to foreign fields. And let me clarify, there are 5,000, over 5,000 that are going to North America, but as those going to like foreign lands where you got to get in the ocean or fly over the ocean, only 3,562. So we ran those numbers against the 46,000 churches, 3,562 missionaries, and here's what we found. We'd have to go to 13 Southern Baptist churches in our area to find one foreign missionary. And so I proposed a question. Is God not calling? Or are preachers not preaching? Or are people not really thinking and even being open or has God spoken clearly and people just quickly shove it away you can't be talking about me that's not my life Lord you know I'm much too talented for that I really would love grace for you to become a mission sending mission supporting mission praying evangelistic church I know my time is gone, but I have to read two things. I have to. I'm going to ask for your patience. The first comes from David Platt. And he shares an instance, a real life instance in his life. Guys, listen to it. He writes, quote, I remember exactly where I was sitting. It was in a home where leaders of an American church had gathered a church that had demonstrated great kindness to me in the past, praying for me and even sending me financial support. The pastor said immediately to my right, and a couple of deacons were on the other side of the den. This was a Saturday evening, and I had been invited to preach the following morning in their church. As we sat around in the den, they asked me questions about how my wife and I were doing. I shared with them about inner city ministry in New Orleans where we were living at the time. I told them about ministry and housing projects ridden with poverty and gang violence. I told them about ministry among homeless men and women who struggled with various addictions. Then I told them about ministry opportunities God had recently given me around the world. I told them about people's receptivity to the gospel in places that are traditionally hostile to Christianity. I told them that whether in the inner city or overseas, God was drawing people to himself in some of the toughest areas of the world. Expecting them to share in my excitement, I paused to listen for their response. After an awkward silence, one of the deacons leaned forward in his chair, looked at me and said, David, I think it's great you're going to those places, but if you ask me, I would just assume God annihilate all those people and send them to hell. Platt says that's exactly what he said. I was shocked and speechless. I had no idea what to say in response. I wish I'd said something, but I'm still not sure what I would have said. Annihilate them? Send them to hell? After a moment of silence, the rest of the room resumed conversation as if nothing out of the ordinary had just happened. He says it got worse. The next morning, we arrived at the church building and the worship service began. The pastor rose to welcome everyone, and during his introductory remarks, he began talking about how thankful he was to be living in the United States. I'm not sure what sparked the rousing patriotic address that followed, but for the next few minutes, he told the church that there was no chance he would ever live anywhere else in the world. Amens were firing left and right from the crowd. Engulfed in nationalistic zeal, I was just waiting for Lee Greenwood to burst into song in the background. (laughs) Minutes later, I got up to preach on going to all nations 
with the gospel. Could you? <laughs> he knows his message. It's like, oh, yeah. He writes, when I finished, I walked down to the front while the pastor got up to close the service. These were his words. Brother David, we're so excited about all that God is doing in New Orleans and in all nations, and we're excited that you are serving there. And brother, we promise that we will continue to send you a check so we don't have to go there ourselves. He wasn't finished. The pastor said, I remember a time at my last congregation when a missionary from Japan came to speak. I told that church if they didn't give financial support to this missionary, I was going to pray that God would send their kids to Japan to serve with that missionary. Platt's on the front row, and here's what he writes. Wow. Did the pastor just threaten his congregation with the punishment of going to the world? But the pastor continued, and my church gave that man a laptop and a whole lot of money. Platt thought apparently the threat worked. The service was dismissed. My wife and I climbed into the car to drive home. I could hardly believe the things I had heard. A range of emotions consumed me. Anger, sadness, disappointment, confusion. But as I began to process what had happened over the last 24 hours, I was struck by a frightening realization. Could it be that this deacon and this pastor express what most professing Christians in America today believe but are not bold enough to say? This may sound a bit harsh, but consider the reality How many of us are embracing the comforts of suburban America while we turn a deaf ear to inner cities in need of the gospel? They're being raised all the time. New ones are being born all the time. They will never, in America, they will not hear about Jesus. He writes, how many of us are so settled in the United States that we have never once given serious thought to the possibility that God may call us to live in another country? How often are we willing to give a check to someone else as long as we don't have to go to the tough places in the world ourselves? How many of us parents are praying that God will raise up our children to leave our homes, go overseas, even if that means they may never come back? How many of us are devoting our lives to the taking the gospel to people in hostile regions around the world where Christians are not welcomed? Certainly few of us would be so bold as to say we would just as soon God annihilate all those people and send them to hell. But if we do not take the gospel to them, isn't that where they will go? What are you doing, Jeff? What are you doing? Facebook about me in a few minutes because I'm going to read one more thing. No, don't Facebook. Everybody will see it. Talk about me at lunch. This is a very powerful thing. Missionary David Hosefluke had a pastor ask him, Missionary David, what do we tell our congregations? And David Hosefluke wrote the following to that pastor to tell his congregation. Number one, it's two things. Number one. Let them know the incredible difficulty of leaving houses and lands for the gospel. It's easy to feel the tingly sensations of missionary surrender by listening to a well-crafted, musically powerful missionary DVD in a climate-controlled auditorium and then hearing an impassioned sermon. But turn off the AC when you preach the sermon. Pump in the smells of body odor and strange food and cigarette smoke. Blast some insipid Balkan or tribal music in the background. Catch this line. 
talk about depression and loneliness and pain and smog and threats and fears and danger and discomfort and frustration about the illogical grammar. Talk about there being ten Demases that rip your heart out for every Timothy that's faithful. Talk about pouring out blood, sweat, and tears, and seeing the harvest come in slower than you thought it would. Talk about missionary kids struggling to adjust and forever becoming third culture people. Neither being culturally American nor Timbuktuan. Missionary sacrifice is overwhelming. Listen, missionary sacrifice is overwhelming. This isn't in the fine print. It's plastered all over the New Testament. But we fail to present this side because we don't want to sound like we're belly aching. War is hell. And right about there, I'm thinking, you're not going to get many people to go to the foreign field. But Joseph Luke says the following, number two, pastor, tell him this. Let them know the incredible reward of doing all this for Christ's sake. Talk up the joy that was set before Christ at the cross. Talk up eternal treasure. Mention the party thrown over the one in 100 rescued from destruction. Overshadow the immense difficulties of missionary sacrifice by the overwhelming rewards in eternity. There's a key line. Make them jealous for God's glory and tell them how tear-jerkingly awesome it is to hear a sinner calling upon the name of the Lord after being convicted by the Holy Spirit through someone as unworthy as them. And even in the absence of such conversions on a large scale, let them know that there is great fulfillment in knowing that amidst the pagan sounds and oppressive darkness, you have been sent as a light lit by the light. And though no one come, though no one heed, you are there. And they know you are there. And He knows you are there. And He is there with you always until it's all over. And you go to your final sleep saying, I left it all out there on the field. And it was worth it all. That would be a good life. You've heard it. You only live once. You know, that's absolutely true of most people. You only live once. That is not true of Christians. I'll give you a better version. Christian, you only live once by faith. You only live once by faith. You'll live again. Then it'll be sight. And we're all going to wish we could go back and do better. You're still in the faith. There are people out there, they're not in it anymore. They did what they did. You may not have tomorrow. You may not have next year. You say, Jeff, what's the takeaway Chris, I'm just praying today. Our time's gone. We're not going to have a song. Will you write these things? Here's the last thing in your handout, and I'm praying there is no invitation. There is no song. Thank you for your patience. Jeff, what's the takeaway about evangelism and missions? Write it down. Pray for specific souls. Pray for laborers. Pray for boldness. Pray for the unreached. Pray, pray, pray.
Christian, in light of 1 Timothy 6, give, honestly, this isn't me as a preacher trying to dig, I'm just telling you. If the Lord lays it on your heart, give generously as God provides and prompts. Y'all know that we just did Lottie Moon. We're going to be doing Annie Armstrong for North American Missions. There literally are needs. Start saving now. I, give, me, give me 40 seconds on something. Our bulletin says we need $7,200. You say, Jeff, you're going to talk about the renovation? If the renovation has been run through the filter, and the filter is these resources are needed to evangelize children, to train children, to create a gospel culture, to create an evangelistic culture, to create a a discipleship-making culture, then these are all part of the plan. I'll go ahead and tell you, we're going to be needing a building for some classes where people disciple each other and invest the gospel and we train and we share our faith and we keep each other encouraged. We're going to need that. We looked at a building on Tuesday. don't know if we'll get it, but if we were to get that one, we'd estimate needing $30,000 to get four classrooms out in the back. You said, Jeff, you just said $37,000. Guys, what I'm talking about is an attitude that says, God, you've blessed me to be a blessing, and, and I need to give toward that and toward that and toward Annie Armstrong and toward Lottie Moon and toward these other things. Guys, $37,000 to Jeff Bartlett sounds like a lot of money, but I'm going to tell you, it's, it's right here. It's already sitting right here. I have no doubt. That, that little 7200 that's left, that ought to be knocked out this week, and you haven't heard me say a lot about it. Because it just remains in the bulletin. It should, it, it should be gone by the end of the week. I ain't saying it will be. All it takes is somebody saying, well, man, we've got we to start evangelizing these kids, train these kids. Write it down, number three. Be open to going to unreached people groups. Don't assume that it's everyone else. It's not my calling. Don't do that. Number four, be evangelistic here and there. And I would preface that by saying, prepare. Start preparing. Come Wednesday night. Learn how to share your faith. And lastly... Connect with other Christians to make disciples. There's your action steps. Let's pray. Father, Father, we sure tried to do a lot. And we've been here a long time. Thank you for these folks' patience. Lord, I pray that every word was authorized and empowered by you. Lord, let your word challenge us, change us. Let us be evangelistic and mission-minded because you commanded because people in hell would beg us while we're in the land of the living. Because people that have never heard would ask us if they knew enough to ask. But Lord, let your love within us constrain us. God, let us pray for specific souls. Let us pray that you'd send laborers into the field. Lord, let us pray for the unreached places. Father, let us be generous and intentional and begin planning and saving and giving. Lord, let us be evangelistic here and now. Let us train, prepare. And Lord, let us meet and keep each other encouraged. This world is against us, as you know. Lord, thank you for the church. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for a Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for your patience.